As you take your seats, I encourage you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to Acts 20. I'm going to read from verse 24 through 32. We are continuing to look at the ministry in Ephesus as we prepare to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Acts 20, verses 24 through 32, what we see here is that Ephesus is not just a, a, play, a church where there is a powerful, bold ministry that's Christ-centered and Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit-filled. It is also a ministry that needs protection. Acts 20, beginning in verse 24. But I do not account my life any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, to draw away uh, and, um, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Heavenly Father, you have giving, given us these words, recounting to us your faithful and powerful deeds that you worked in the church of Ephesus through the apostles, but also, Lord, amazingly, through simple, ordinary elders in the church and through your people. So bless this word to us, Lord, that our hearts might be reoriented once again to the incredible mystery of Christ, not only for us, but Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have been seeing here in, um, in Ephesus, in the, ch- in the church there, through the preaching of Apollos, uh, through the teaching and instruction um, of, of the laity, through the preaching of Paul, and these responses of giving up sin, giving up the things of sin, and public rep- uh, confession and repentance, and shaking up the entire worldview and economy of the, of the city around them. What we are seeing here is nothing less than the glory of God's grace and salvation expanding to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have said from the beginning that this is the promise of Jesus in Acts 1.8, but 
it is not only the promise that Jesus makes in Acts 1.8. This is a promise that God the Father made to Jesus back in Isaiah. Isaiah 49.6, the Lord says to the Messiah, You, I will make you a light for the Gentiles, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God made a promise to his son. And he began carrying out that work through his son. And the son, having been faithful to the father, has gone and has returned to the heavenly places. And what we are seeing is that the son has made a promise to the church. And so the promise that the Father made to the Son is a promise that the Son has made to the church. And what we see is that the promises that God has made are faithful. And what God intended and planned to do through His Son is something that He is still doing even though the Son has returned to Him in the heavenly places. And this is because the promise that Jesus made to his church is that he would continue to do his ministry as Messiah, but to do it through the church. Yes, the book of Acts is often, often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but make no, no mistake, it is the Acts of Jesus Christ through his Apostles. God's intention of his glory and his salvation spreading to the ends of the earth, which Jesus says his church will do as they are filled by the Holy Spirit and as they go forth bearing witness to Jesus Christ. This is happening. And in this section of Acts, we we have now, starting in, in chapter 18, we've really gotten into what would be considered to the ends of the earth. Now, this ministry that God the Father, through His Son, through the Spirit, through the apostles, we are now being told here is a ministry that will continue through the church, especially, we are told, through the elders of the church. Now, this is a very sobering passage if you are an elder, if you have been an elder, if you think you might want to be an elder. But this passage is not only for those who are in the office or considering the office. This is a passage passage that is very important for the people of God as a whole. There are some profound things that are going on underneath the surface that I want us to look at just briefly this morning so that we can take something that we have heard over and over and over again and see it in a new light. We have had, if you have been in this church, uh, if you have grown up in other Presbyterian churches that have elders, uh, in Baptist churches that have you know elders, either a single elder or some of them have multiple elders, You know you've heard about the ministry of the elders. But there is something profound here beyond just that incredible reality that Jesus Christ is the one who is working through his elders. What we we see here is this picture of the office of elder functioning as 
as shepherds. We are told very clearly in verse 28 that the elders are to guard themselves and they are to guard the people of God. They are to care for the, themselves. They are to care for the church of God. I like the way um, that the New Living Translation puts this. It says, so guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock. This picture of guarding is a picture of keeping. This picture of, of, of a shepherd taking care to make sure that threats from outside are not coming in and to care to make sure that threats from the inside are not taking root is something that goes all the way back to the garden. In the garden in Genesis chapter 3, we are told, or Genesis chapter 2, we are told that when, Adam, when God made Adam, he put Adam into the garden, and it tells us that Adam had two duties. He was to guard and keep that garden. And the picture there is he was to guard from outside threats, and he was to nurture that which was inside the garden. So he was to protect from, from, from threat, and he was to nurture growth from within. That was his calling. And what happened in Adam's trying to carry out that calling? Did he do a good job? No, he didn't. And what are we told? That there was a threat from the outside that came in in the form of a serpent whom we know to be not simply a serpent, but we know to be the evil one. And what happened was he whispered things into the ear of Eve, and he didn't really whisper complete lies. He, he whispered half-truths. And what ended up happening within Eve is that from the outside force that was influencing her, there was an inner desire that crept up and led her astray. So even right there, there was outside and inside within Adam, within his failure to guard and keep the garden. The priesthood in Old Testament Israel had the same calling, and we are told that it was, it's the same words in the Hebrew text. They are to guard and they are to keep the, the tabernacle and the temple that they are to guard the tabernacle and temple from outside influences that, that are unclean, that either by way of being outright sin or just being things that, that were ceremonially unclean, and they were to protect within, and they were to nurture the ministry, the, the, the ministry of the sacrifices from within. They were to do both. But what happened in the life of Israel? Did the Levites, did the priests, did the high priests do a good job of protecting worship? No. As a result, we are told that the nation of Israel continued to engage in worship, but they worshiped in a way that was perfunctory. They were going through the motions they approach things in thinking that, well, if we just do what is said there, then we get God's blessing. Rather than understanding that, that what God required of his people was devotion, was them giving their hearts to him. And the result is there's false worship in Israel. 
But not only is there false worship because of the problems from within, there's false worship because the worship of the nations started coming in. And the idols of the nations started coming in. And what happened with the people of God is they didn't just decide to, okay, well, we're, we're done with Yahweh. Now we'll embrace these other gods. No, what they did was they continued to worship Yahweh while attempting to also worship the other gods. And so once again, from outside and from within, there was a failure within the leadership of Israel. It was a failure not only with regards to the priesthood, but there was a failure within the prophets And there was especially a failure within the kings. And the result is what happens to the people of God. They are taken off into captivity. They lose their land. They lose their temple. They lose their sacrifices. These things that they had been abusing, God takes away from them. These things that they had been utilizing in the wrong way for a false hope, God takes them away. And so they end up in a foreign land. And we are told very specifically in language that Paul is utilizing here in Acts 20 that part of the problem was that the leadership within Israel had not been functioning according to guarding and keeping the people of God. There is a phrase that Paul uses here that harkens back to Ezekiel 33, where there was a watchman that his job was to be posted, and he was to watch, to, to look, to see, is there a foreign threat that is coming onto the, in, into the land? Is there a foreign threat of the sword that's about to come against God's people? And if he saw an invading army, what he was supposed to do was he was supposed to alert the people. He was to sound the trumpet. He was to give the warning call so that the people could respond to the danger. The leadership of Israel, they were, to, they were to serve as watchmen. They were supposed to serve as those who were looking out from threats that could come from the outside in order to warn the people of God. But that meant that they themselves had to remain vigilant. You couldn't be a watchman and not be at your post. You had to be there in order to be watching and to be waiting in order that if something was there, you could fulfill your calling. Ezekiel 33 tells us very clearly that the leadership of Israel had completely failed in their calling as a watchman. And so therefore, God was going to raise up a new one. In Ezekiel 34, what we are told is that not only had the leadership failed as watchmen, they had failed as shepherds. The two images that Paul is using here in Acts 20 to help elders and the congregation understand how Christ continues to fulfill his ministry in and through the church is in these two images of watchman and shepherd. And what Ezekiel 34 tells us is that those who were supposed to be shepherding God's people to protect them from from threats from outside, that they had become the very threats that were on the inside. We are told that not only were they not watching out, 
we are told that they themselves were feeding on the sheep. Ezekiel 34 says, Thus says the Lord God, All shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled over them. The result is that they are scattered because there was no shepherd and they have become food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. That's a, that's a reference to idolatry. My sheep were scattered all o- over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek them. When the leadership do not protect the people from the outside, and when the leadership becomes the very threat on the inside, then the people are described as being lost and wandering, as being fed upon instead of fed, being abused instead of healed. They are being used instead of being served. And so when Jesus Christ comes in John 10 and says, I am the good shepherd. I am not like the thief who comes in to destroy. And I am not like the hired hand who will run away at the first threat. You see what he's talking about there? Whether it's from outside or inside challenge, I am not the one that you have to fear. I am the good shepherd. And this is because in Ezekiel 34, God says in response to the failure of the shepherds of Israel that God says that my people will no longer be a prey because I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord I have spoken. God makes a promise that to his scattered sheep that he is going to come to them. And he's going to come to them through his servant David. Now the time that this is promised, David is already dead. David is no longer alive. We are generations past David. And we know this to be a promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when he says in John 10, I am that good shepherd, there is an expectation that the people of God have had. And he comes to them as the good shepherd. And what were we told about Jesus? That when he looked upon the people of of Israel, he looked on them and he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What is happening in the ministry of elders in the church 
is a continuation of this promise that God has made to shepherd his people and to shepherd his people through his servant David in order that his people may no longer be used and abused, but instead that they might be served, that they might be protected, and that they might be fed. And this is the calling that the elders have. And this is the privilege that you have as the people of God. That God is not just up in heaven not paying attention. He's not just up there waiting out the clock until he returns. That he sees his people and he knows what you go through and he has made provision for that in his son. But for some remarkable, mysterious reason, he has chosen to use frail men like me to continue to provide for you the ministry of his son, Jesus Christ. This is a profound reality that the Apostle Paul is describing. And so when he says here in verse 28, as Paul is about to leave and never come back to the church in Ephesus, Paul does not think, well, because I'm not there, things are going to fall apart. What he says is the reality that has always existed in this world from the very beginning that there are threats from the outside and there are threats from the inside, that is going to continue. And so you men see yourselves within this grand scope of redemption so that you might really understand your calling of what it means for you to guard and feed God's flock. And Paul is very clear here that What was essential to his ministry, he wants essential in the ministry of these elders. And that is testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. One of the biggest threats that will come into the church, even during the time of Paul's ministry, is the threat of people not living according to God's grace, but thinking that following Christ is about keeping the law. One of the biggest threats that will come into the church is not, is not simply the forces from outside that are making things difficult like we just read about in Acts 19 last week. There's a difficulty from within the church of the leadership of the church getting away from the grace of God and focusing on things that Christ has fulfilled for us so that we don't have to fulfill for ourselves, which is God's law. This doesn't mean that as the people of God we don't strive to keep the law, but we strive to keep the law as those who are already considered as those who perfectly keep the law because of that righteousness of Jesus Christ. But one of the greatest threats that can come into the church is when people get a good idea that doesn't come from the gospel. Everything that we are to be and do within the fellowship of Jesus Christ has to be built on that foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It all has to come from the testimony of God's grace. 
So that is, it is a grace-fueled devotion to God, not a works-fueled devotion to God. It is a grace-filled um, uh, fellowship among God's people, not a fellowship that's based on, are you keeping the right rules? It is a fellowship in which we love one another, not on the basis of if they've kept the preferences that we think should be in the church, but we are able to love one another because of the love that we have received from Jesus Christ as those who could never perfectly keep what he requires. It is a free love. It is a free grace. It is a freedom to love, not on the basis of what someone does for you, but on the basis of what Christ is doing through you. It is a love. It is a, it is a desire to do ministry, not on the basis of personal preferences. And that is so hard. I have all kinds of personal preferences. And I have the danger of actually getting at times to ask for them. There is no greater pressure than learning to say no to yourself. But that's my calling. And that is the calling of the elders. And that is your calling as the people of God. That we don't take our preferences for what the ministry should or needs to look like but that we keep our eyes focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and we constantly ask ourselves, how can we bear witness to the gospel of God's grace better? How can we bear witness to the gospel of God's grace more consistently? How can we become a church that is known in Dallas and Hiram and Ackworth and the surrounding area. What can we do so that we come to be known as a place of God's grace? What are we known for? I haven't been here long enough to know. Tell me what you think afterwards. But are we confident that grace, covenant church is known as being a place of grace? Is that our hallmark? Is that what drives everything that we do and the way that we do these things? That we want to be a place where the testimony of God's grace is made so evident that it is God's grace that will continue to protect us from buying into the threats that are coming from the outside, that it's God's grace that will continue to fuel us to respond graciously to the threats that are coming from the outside. There is no doubt we are starting to face greater threats from the outside. Are we going to respond politically? or with a testimony of God's grace in Christ. And there is no doubt that because there is greater threat coming from the outside, beloved, there is greater threat that you and I will have to wrestle with within our own hearts. And what is going to drive our response to those threats from within us? Is it going to be to white-knuckle ourselves into devotion? to white-knuckle ourselves into obedience, to white-knuckle ourselves into being something that we think we should be? Or are we going to run and flee to the grace of God in Jesus Christ to be renewed in that gospel of grace so that we can experience the confident hope of that grace so that we can respond 
to those challenges according to the power of God's grace. There are threats from outside. There are threats from within. And the answer to both of those is the testimony of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so Paul ends here not just with calling the elders to be shepherds who protect and who nourish and feed. He call, he, what he does is he commends the elders, and through the elders, he commends the church of Jesus Christ, notice here, to the word of God's grace. Beloved, that is the calling that I, week after week, from this pulpit, and from the moments of counseling, or at lunch, or whatever we are doing, to constantly be guarding myself according to God's grace so that I can continue to time after time after time commend you to God's grace. And so, beloved, pray for me and pray for our elders, but also pray for yourselves that we would be a people who would crave the grace of Jesus Christ so that we can drink deeply of that grace, so that we can be formed and shaped by that grace, so that we can be conduits of that grace in our ministry within these walls, and especially in our ministry to those outside. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a beautiful testimony you have given us of your heart, that you love us, and that you share all the good things of you with us. And that you give us the privilege of being your people and receiving that love. And that you deal with us according to the patience of your grace. Where you know that we are not going to be perfected in this life. And so you gently lead us according to your word according to prayer and according to the sacraments, that we would be a people that would embody your grace so that we would be protected from all the threats against your grace, whether they come from outside or within. And so, Lord, forgive us and help us to repent of utilizing earthly wisdom when instead we should be functioning according to your gospel. Forgive us for the ways that we try to do things in a way that's the path of least resistance rather than the challenge of taking up the cross. Help us, O Lord, indeed, and fill us with your Spirit that we would entrust ourselves to what you have said, especially when we try to convince ourselves of something easier. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.